We are familiar with uh, many of the various Midrashim that try and give us a, an, an insight into uh, the fracas between Yosef and his brothers. Now, what exactly was the was the root cause of the enmity between between the two sides? So at first, the Torah just tells us that um, Yosef seems to be somebody, you know, to, to, is a, a shepherd with his brothers, and um, he he socializes with the sons of Bila and and Zilpah. Uh, that's uh, that's our opening. Um, Line to your safe, and um, this uh, th this idea that he had a relationship with uh, Bila and Zilpah's kids um, was uh, is something that the Midrash, you know, spends a bit of time on, um, because somehow there was a, an inequality uh, that was um, applied by the sons of Leah toward the sons of the various Pilagshim. The various concubines. So the Midrash tells us that uh, you know Bila and Zilpa's kids were always referred to by Leah's kids as in a kind of a you know second-class citizens, if you will. Um, they're the children of the Pilakshim, as we said. Um, and and only Yosef relates to Bila and Zilpa um, as his father's wives and not really as his father's Pilakshim, his, his concubines. And and had no problem treating the children of Bilan Zilpa as as equals. Um, so the the pasuk sort of opens up, giving us a, a positive spin on on your safe's personality. Yet the pasuk uh, continues and tells us that there's something about your safe which is not so uh, rosy either, and that is your safe used to bring, you know. Uh, bad reports, evil reports about his brothers. Um, so you have kind of like a, a almost at first glance, it looks like a, a, a contradiction between Midrashim, that Yosef treats everybody as equals, and at the same time, he comes along with the, the Loshan Hora against, against his brothers. Um, so the question is, how, how do we balance, how do we understand the nature of who Yosef, Yosef was? Um, now, it's interesting that Yaakov Avinu doesn't pay much attention to this, this, this other side, the dark side of Yosef. Um, it sounds either he ignored it or he's unaware of it. The Torah tells, that, it tells us that Yaakov Avinu of Israel, Ahabit Yosef Mikol Banav, Kiven Zakunim Hulo. Yaakov Avinu loved Yosef more than any of his other sons. Um, he, he he treated Yosef as you would have been Zakunim. Now Ben Zakunim is is interesting. At, at first glance, you'd say Ben Zakunim is a lot lamaki, you know, a child that was born to his father in, in his old age. Um but um and, and maybe that's why there's a special bond between Yaakov and Yosef as a result of this. Um however, this is not so simple because um Anachanami, at first glance, when you start to literally translate the words, um, this translation explanation, you know, works. The bottom line is, though, 
that Binyamin comes after Yosef. Um, and so if you're reading the Torah after Binyamin is born, it's hard to refer to, your, to Yaakov Avinu, to Yosef again as Ben Zekunim. I mean, you could say that, okay, when Yosef was born, that's that's where Yaakov developed this amazing relationship with him. And then when Binyamin was born, okay, you, you know, maybe he wouldn't have been Ben Zekunim at that point in time. Um, but if you're looking at it from after uh, Binyamin is born, then Binyamin should be uh, the Ben Zekunim as opposed to as opposed to Yosef. And that's possibly why um, Rashi offers us uh, another pshat, where Ben Zekunim means that Yosef was intuitively wise. He had a certain is uh, a klugamensh, a smart, a smart, smart person, and. Um, and this is this is based on the interpretation of the phrase Zakain is not just old chronologically. Zakain is Zekana Kochma. It's sort of like a contraction of the word Zekana. This person has acquired much, much knowledge. And so Ben Zakunim means he's very perceptive, smart, wise child. Um and this is and this is maybe how we read. You know, why Yaakov Avinu is so... I mean, it can't be that the others were stupid, right? The others are the Bechira, are, are, the, are, are, the, are the sons of Yaakov Avinu, but Yosef has something absolutely u- unique. Um, and maybe this is this Pshat of Rashi that tells us that Yaakov Avinu felt that Yosef was his uh, continuity. It was his successor, and he could he could, he could teach him all of the, the Torah that, 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 that Yaakov had gained in the Shiva of Shem Ve'ever and from Yitzchak, he could pour it all into, into, into Yosef. And maybe this is why Yaakov um, isn't aware of Yosef's darker side and, uh, and, and, or just ignores it. Uh, whatever Yaakov Avinu's um, perception was, one thing is clear that the Gemara already in the Midrash pulls him up for favoritism. And uh, Yaakov gives Yosef this unique, um, this ketonet pasim. Whatever ketonet pasim means, there are half a dozen at least interpretations of exactly what it was. You know, how different it was from the others. Whatever it was, it was at least perceived as being markedly different, enough to cause trouble. Yaakov gives it to Yosef to mark Yosef's, you know, elect status as Yaakov Avinu's, uh, you know, next link in the chain of Masorah. Um, but what, you know, what happened was, is that um, it caused obviously this, this degeneration within the, within, within the family structure. So Yaakov Avinu gives Yosef the big day kahuna, so to speak. And, um, and uh, you know, because he sets him apart, he's already made him a leader. Um, and uh, and and the truth is, at first glance, there there might have been absolute truth to all of this. That Yaakov saw that Yosef and he had this incredible bond, and um, you know, to 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 quote a uh, a phrase that we use in next week's uh, in Parashat Vayigash, Nafsho Kishurab Nafsho, the two souls. Uh, you know, it's, it's, the Torah uses it about Binyamin and Yosef, but but um, but Benjamin and uh, and Yaakov, but yeah, you can use it Yosef and Yaakov too. Um, the Medrash comes along and tells us that 
that that whatever Yaakov experienced in his life was was uh, somehow kind of a siman lebanim, and it was mamish immediate. In other words, Yosef relived Yaakov's experiences. So Yaakov Avinu was hated by Isav. Yosef was hated by the brothers. You know, Yaakov Avinu, um, Yaakov, uh, Esav tries to kill him. Yosef's brothers tried to kill him. This this parallel is quite strong between the two of them. Um, and you know, Esav hates Yaakov because Yaakov stole his position of leadership and undermined him. And the brothers hate uh, Yosef because of the same thing. Um. So these are the, the points of comparison which are important. You know, you can go through everything and try and find the, the, the parallels. Um, so just like Yaakov Avinu, you know, he's he's got to spend 20 years in exile and Lavan tries to do anything he can to uh, put obstacles in his way. Yaakov somehow, Yaakov Avinu demonstrates tremendous resilience. And um, and in 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 uh, the galut of Lavan's house, Yaakov manages to turn the tables on Lavan, and despite Lavan's attempt to render Yaakov Avinu uh, penniless by uh, ripping him off and changing his contract ten, ten times, Yaakov Avinu is given the siad Ishmaya with a with his connection with the angels, and he's able to all of a sudden, you know, uh, emerge from from from. Uh, from exile, Birchush Gadol, with a with a vast fortune, and Yosef goes down to Egypt as a slave, only to eventually be promoted to the highest position in the land, other than the king, and that is, you know, as prime minister of Egypt. Um, so there, there, there are many parallels between Yaakov's life and Yosef's life, and the Midrash brings these parallels to show you that that the two of them are almost like a, a continuity, one of the other. Um, and this is, uh, so, you know, Yaakov understands, um, he has this unique relationship with, uh, with Yosef as a result of this. He, he sees himself, you know, in, uh, in Yosef. Um, now, uh, Yos Yosef, um, we have to understand exactly what, what Yosef's, um, issue was with the brothers you know he comes along and he he brings this dibara he brings this uh, complaint against his brothers now let's try and understand and focus a little on the nature of uh, of uh, of the fight between these brothers what what exactly do we see in this so if we look at various midrashim they tell us as follows yosef when he looked at his brothers he, he was convinced that the brothers were guilty of three major averas. And this is the Dibara that he brings back to Yaakov. Number one, the Midrash claims that he perceived the brothers to be violating the din of Aver Minachai. So that they would eat, they would eat the meat of animals that were still alive. And that violation of Aver Minachai. Is a serious no no. It's one of the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach. It's applicable to it. You, you, you know, you have mitzvah if you violate if you violate this. 
you know, okay, you could argue that that's for Goyim, they have mitzvah, but for Amisrael, interesting as to what the definition of of Amisrael was at that at, at that point in time. But uh, anyway, in 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 essence, yeah, he comes back to Yaakov Avinu with a loshon hora that the brothers are violating the issue of Eivah Minachai. That's one, point one, says the Midrash. The other was like we opened up with, that Yosef's, uh, Yosef's uh, unique uh, relationship with the children of Bila and Zilpa was, uh, was unique because the others were, did not have the same approach to, to uh, the, the, the sons of Bila and Zilpa. Um, and they basically, you know, there was a kind of like a disrespect that existed between the sons of Leah towards the sons of Bila and Zilpa. That was Avera number two. And Avera number three, says the Midrash Tanchuma, was that they violated various components of Arayot. They had, there were certain sexual relationships, transgressions that they committed. And um, he brought this report back to Yaakov Avinu. So he he accuses them of these three Averas, the Isra of Avera Minachai, degrading the, the children of Bila and Zilpa, and this problem with Arayot. Uh, and this is what this is what Yaakov heard from Yosef. Now, the of course, uh, Avera of, of, of Avera Minachai and and Gilu Arayot applies to everybody. Um and the question was, was there any kind of basis for this kind of charge? Sounds almost like impossible to to to, to accuse the sons of Yaakov, uh, you know, having violated these these Sheva, these two of the Sheva Mitzvah Ben Noach. Um, the question is, how did how did Yosef perceive the brothers' behavior in order to come to uh, you know to come to this conclusion? Um, so there's a uh, there's a chidush that uh, is written up by the Mishnah Lamelech. The Mishnah Lamelech is the classic, uh, a classic perush on the Rambam, uh, but he has a he has a, a perush on Torah also. His uh, his name is Rav Yehuda Rosanus. Anyhow, he's uh, he's famous for the Mishnah Lamelech, but he has a, a fantastic perush on Torah as well. And uh, he has a chidush just to try and explain what happened over here, you know, between the brothers. What was the real argument? So he takes us to uh, to a point like this. Um, he uh, he says, "Look, um, when Yaakov and the children are are looking at their life story, and as the so-called Jewish history unfolds in front of them, they, they they've always got in their rearview mirror." This this nevuah, this prophecy that Akash Baruch Hu made to Avram Avinu, that there would be an, a period of galut that that Amisrael, that the children of Yaakov would have to go through, that Yaakov would have to suffer, uh, and that you know it's it's sort of like couched in that famous pasuk that Akash um, Baruch Hu tells Avram Avinu that you're going to be a stranger. In a strange land, as a people, a minority, and um, and there's going to be levels of of uncomfortableness, of slavery that 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 are, that are going to 
be thrust upon you for 400 years. So that prophecy is always, you know, remained in the background of uh, all the children of, uh, of Avraham Avinu. And you can sort of see that Yaakov Avinu is looking to try and understand how, how this is going to play itself out. It's, it's, uh, it's therefore possible to suggest, says the Mishnah Melech, he says that Yaakov Avinu looks at his life and he says, okay, I'm forced out of my parents' home, out of Eretz Israel, to go into Galut. This must be the beginning. This must be the beginning, or at least a continuation, a fulfillment of this uh, nevuah that Aram Avinu, this prophecy that Aram Avinu got. And so um, I'm going into Galut now, and the clock starts now. In other words, or he might have made the Cheshman, the clock starts with Yitzchak too, but he's definitely part of the story. We're going to we're going to assume that he thinks that the clock is really ticking as far as he's concerned. Meaning like his experiences of Galut are a fulfillment of this particular prophecy that Akash Baruch Hu gave Avram Avinu. And if this is true, then Yaakov's 20 years in exile, Saba has to equate to the 400 years that, that was spoken about in the prophecy. So however you work out the maths, whether you want to try and say, look, there's 400 of uh, regular um, uncomfortable years, but maybe the 20 years that I had there was uniquely intense and therefore on some level equal to the mild years of exile that that the prophecy hinted to. Whatever it is, Yaakov Avinu and possibly his children all saw in his experience in the house of Lavan as an expression of this prophecy of, of, of Galut. And so therefore, when Akush Baruch Hu comes and tells Yaakov Avinu to return home to Eretz Israel, so Yaakov and the, and the sons, everybody believes that the return of Yaakov's family to Eretz Canaan, you know, oh, this must be the, the heralded uh, a, a, a period of, of, uh, of Geula over here. And um, and, and as a result of this, a lot of things in their mind are changing here. This, the fact that we went back to Eretz Israel, you know, um, what, what's the implication? It's not just about Galut and Gula, but it's also about the status of, uh, of Yaakov's family. Uh, and, 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 uh, and one of the suggestions here is that the status of of uh, the nature of who is Jewish and who is not is it crystallizes at this particular point. And so if this theory is correct, what it suggests is, is that Yaakov and the and the Bnei Yaakov, as soon as they come back into Eretz Israel, after Yaakov Avinu then survives the whole wrestling, uh, the fight with Sarshal Esav, it didn't just uh, give them respite from enemies around them, it changed their status from Israelites to Jews on a halachic level. And, and therefore, prior to, to uh, Yaakov Avinu returning from, from Galut into Eretz Israel as an expression of Gehula, the halachic status of, of all people that were monotheists at that time, or, you know, the, the idea behind it was to recognize them as as culturally Jewish, uh, as a as a family of Jews, 
um, who all believed in Akash Baruch Hu and, and, and followed his value system. But it, it, it wasn't that they were like, they weren't that different from the Goyim around them who also somehow were maybe monotheists, some of them anyway. But what it did was is that, so you had, the world was divided up into at least three categories. There's the average Goy who is, uh, you know, is an idol worshiper, a polytheist. And then you have everybody else who are monotheists. But we would, they, they were, they considered themselves to be, they considered themselves to be, you know, the Hasidei Umotawalam, that they were, they were like the best of the non, of the whole world. They were righteous Gentiles, if you want to call them that. And, and they were all bound by the Sheva Mitzvah and Noach. But now the brothers think that Yaakov's return to Eretz Canaan, you know, elevated them to the status of, of a Jew. And now they inherited a level of, of spirituality, which gave them this uh, new dimension uh, that did not exist uh, among the Noachide laws or among the Noachides themselves. And they shift from becoming B'nai Noach to, to B'nai Israel, And that's as a result of returning to, to Eretz Israel. It's a result of Yaakov Inu's fight and becoming named Israel. And now everybody's called B'nai Israel. And so if this is the way uh, the Mishnah Namedach suggests that they are thinking, so, um, you know, yeah, you know, your, your safes, all the brothers believe that Akosh Baruch was promised Avram Avinu with regard to this 400 year Galut in a foreign land has already been fulfilled. And, and, and for, you know, obviously you have to now work out what they did with the prophecy and how, on how it really works, you know. But as I suggested to you, a number of Mephoshim try this kind of thing where the amount of suffering that Kalishal went through. Uh, was you know, or was prophesied was a certain level of, of slavery, and what Yaakov and the and the family went through was such a high level of slavery or intense persecution, if you can call it that, that it equaled it out. That's why you have to sort of work it. But without having a cheshbon um, from the Mishnah Melech, you know, in hand exactly, at this point anyway, um, we uh, we at least just have the theory. And so what he is suggesting is that this is the reason why the parsha, when it opens up, the first opening line of the parsha is Vayeshev Yaakov, Beretz Megurai Aviv, Beretz Kanan. Vayeshev Yaakov, Rashi quotes the most famous Midrash, Bikesh Yaakov Leishev Bishalva. Yaakov wanted to now, he saw himself, you know, ah, this is like the pre-Messianic or Messianic era. And this is exactly why by Yeshev Yaakov, he was expecting to settle down and to have everything work out for him. And the conquest of Eretz Israel would then take place, etc. So this was the whole, according to the mission of Melech, this is the whole mindset and approach of Yaakov Avinu and the rest of Bnei Yaakov. And the only one who, the only one who challenged the interpretation and forcefully suggested that they are very much mistaken, was Yosef. Yosef came along and told them, the fact that you're returning from Lavan's house and coming back to Israel, okay, this is kind of like a, a station in a longer journey. 
you know, it's uh, it's kind of like Akosh Baruch Hu allowing the family to catch their breath and be mechazek themselves in Torah so that they are prepared for a much worse exile that's going to um, be the fulfillment of this particular prophecy. Um, it's almost like you have like a kind of a, you kind of a, a, a parallel. Um, you have a parallel where when we look at what Amishal has gone through, so we get sent into, into Galut Bavel, it lasts 70 years. That's pretty mild compared to the Galut that we're in, you know, which is, you know, which is the longest and the harshest of all the Galuyot that have existed. So you ask yourself, okay, so what was the 70 years all about? That first Galut. Uh, well, according to according to some, that first Galut was kind of like a favor, so to speak, couched in punishment because it gave Amishal a chance to stand on their own two feet and to have Kapora as a result of the destruction and develop a system uh, of Torah Shabbat which would allow Torah to protect us all the way through Jewish history. But it was like a station in the middle of a number of, of other stations. And, uh, and we needed to develop something uh, that would allow us to, to survive this huge, you know, thousands of years long galut. So that, the second, going back and building the second Beit HaMikdash, coming back to Israel with the second Beit HaMikdash, that's, that's kind of parallel to this idea that Yaakov coming back from Lavan's house um, and Chutzaretz and, you know, re, you know, resettling in Eretz Israel, that's like coming back for the second Beit HaMikdash. And that second Beit HaMikdash was only there so that Amishal could recharge their spiritual batteries um, you know, become close and developed and bigger. And then they would be able to survive the Galut that was really going to hit them, which we know as Galut Mitzrayim. Um, and this is what Yosef was trying to, to warn everybody about. And this is why they, they had a problem with his interpretation, because he wasn't just arguing with them. He was like challenging their whole entire mindset of what was happening in the interpretation of history. And then, of course, this interpretation of Yosef really has not just the historical overtures of problem, but it also has halachic implications. Because if the brothers assume that their return to Eretz Israel initiates a, uh, a pre-Messianic era, and Yosef comes along and he says that this return to Eretz Israel is, is just a very nice gift from Akash Baruch Hu, and that's it. We still have got nowhere near the 400 years, uh, the completion of the 400 years of exile. You might have, you might have completed some years, but he's saying, uh, you know, uh, dear Abba, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how to tell you this, but what you had in Lavan's house, seriously, was child's play. Child's play. You think you had a hard time? Child's play. You had. Wait until you see what's coming around. Anyway, what happens with this theory of Yosef is that according to Yosef now, this has got nothing to do with the Geula, meaning nothing. It's got, it's, it's maybe it has some contribution towards the Geula, but it's nowhere near the completion of the Golis and the, and, and, and the Geula coming along. And therefore, he defined from a halachic, ashkafic point of view, Yosef sees that 
this um, elevated status that the brothers are clinging onto, that they now have transformed from B'nai Yaakov in, in exile to B'nai Israel, from from a Chassidei Umota Olam to to Alachic Jews, as a result of not, that's not happening at all. That's not happening at all. We're not in the pre-Mashiach times. You know, you, you still are, you still are, you're still an Israelite, you, but but you're like one of the people, you're stuck, you know, you're a righteous Gentile. You're a guy who's uh, taken an oath to to live by the Sheva Mitzvah named Noah. And everything else is like voluntary. And so therefore you're not, you don't have this new status. The status of becoming of becoming the Amanivchar is still yet to follow the Galut Mitzrayim. Only once you've experienced Galut Mitzrayim, how he said it to them exactly, in what terms, what he, you know, he could leave the names out. He said, you just, there's a Galut that's coming. There's a serious Galut that's coming, man. The dark clouds are coming. And only after you survive that, then would there be a, your Neshamas will evolve to a higher spiritual plane. And, and using this particular theory now, we start to explain why Yosef had, you know, we looked at his brothers and how they were behaving. This is what he saw. The Lashon Horah was Taka Lashon Horah. It was true. But this is how it worked. Yosef came along and said to the brothers, you know, you're violating these three Averis. And, um, and, 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 and one of them specifically is violating the issue of eating even when high, and how how did it come about? So when they shafted, when they shafted an animal, and they and they and they were and they were eating from that animal while it was still in while it was still alive. So according to the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach, it's absolutely asur asur midoraita for. Uh, you know, for a, for a, a non-Jew um, to to eat an animal like this, and if Taka, uh, if they would eat the animal like this, um, they would violate the halacha. However, if the if the animal is shechted, uh, even if the animal is still moving, but after the animal is shechted, from a halachic point of view. You can, you know, you can cut off the flesh um, of the animal straight then. Then you'd have to salt it. Actually, you have to get rid of the blood. But um, yeah, yeah, was the problem. Yosef looks at the brothers as Bnei Noach, and as a result of this, the when they saw that the brothers would already start cutting the meat, even though the meat was moving, that that only applies to to uh, you know, Am Israel. Um, you can't, you you know, you can't touch this animal as far as the Sheva Mitzvah and Noach are concerned. Um, so yeah, Yosef looks at them, sees them as Bnei Noach, and therefore reports on them because he says that they're violating Mamash and Mefurishadin. And the reason why they're Bnei Noach because this historically they haven't become Bnei Israel yet. Um, the brothers, on the other hand, saw nothing wrong with cutting off the flesh of the animal. Um, 
since they considered that they, they, they were hidden, they thought themselves as, as Jews who were no longer bound by the Shema Mitzvah and that's why they 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 had the, they built up this hatred for for Yosef. Now, the other Avera that the Midrash says is that he felt that they were degrading to the sons of Bila and Zilpa. They used to call them the slaves, etc. Um, Bnei Noach have no right to own a slave. In other words, the idea of slavery um, from a halachic point of view is a, a complete no-no, absolute isur for Goyim. Um, but for Am Yisrael, Am Yisrael can own a Jewish slave. So when the brothers referred to, the sons of Leah referred to uh, their half-brothers of Bila and Zilpah as slaves, kind of from a halachic point of view, they might have been, you know, they might have seen it that way. But Yosef says, listen, you guys are not Am Yisrael who can own slaves. You know, the term slave is mamish a degrading, you know, it's a degrading term. But the brothers only, so to speak, spoke about the concept of slaves because they thought they were Jewish and they had a right to own slaves. You know, Parshat Mishpatim is all about slaves. And since Bila and Zilpa were, in fact, um, you know, Shvachot to, um, to Yaakov Avinu, um, Yosei, the, you know, the B'nai Leia, they thought that, that this is fine. There's nothing wrong with referring to them as slaves. They came from the maidservants of, of Yaakov Avinu. They, not so much, they didn't sound, you know, we can interpret the Midrash such that they didn't intend it as a derogatory term as such. But according to, the, according to Torah, they interpreted this was their true legal status. And of course, Yosef argues against this and tells them, you're jumping the gun here as far as the concept of Avadim. It's only going, you know, it hasn't been commanded yet. You're not, you're not yet able to make use of this principle. And the third Avera that he accused the brothers of is that they had violated Arayot, had committed adultery. You know, why were they Chashudim al Arayot? What did they do? So here again, the Mishnah Melech says as follows that um, as far as uh, by Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach and Torah, adultery is a problem. But there's one there's one scenario where under which the Torah allows uh, a married non-Jewish woman to live with somebody else other than her husband, whereas the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach would not. So non non-Jews who convert to Yiddishkeit, they they enter their new state completely clean. The Torah, you know, the, the Gemara in Masechet Yimamo talks about, you know, like a brand new person. Um, and if you're a brand new person, like Mamish reformed, then this unique status has halachic implications. And therefore, if a brother and sister who are, you know, convert to Yiddishkeit, so according to Dinei Torah, it would be permissible for them to marry one another. Chazal in our day and age, you know, even in, even in the days of old, they, they said, look, it doesn't look right. So they made a kind of a ban against it. But, but theoretically speaking, it was possible. Um, you know, but okay, without the Gezeira of Chazal, 
um, you'd you'd be able to marry somebody who would otherwise be uh, out of bounds to you if they converted. So if a if a married woman converts to to Yiddishkeit, um, and and she wants to marry a, a yid without uh, without getting a divorce from a previous husband. So by converting to Yiddishkeit, she essentially becomes a single woman again. She's like divorced automatically from her first husband. Yosef's brothers had married converts like this. So according to the Mishnah Amalek, based on the Midrashim, he says that Yosef's brothers, the Bnei Yaakov, went and married women. Married, married, yeah, they married these Gairim or you know, these these uh, these Gairim married them, but there was no there was no uh there, there was no like um this was adultery. These, they, these women were married, they didn't get a get from their previous husband. But the Bnei Yaakov thought hey, they had converted. If they've converted, and we we now have a new Shoma in us when you convert, uh, and we have the world of Aloha is applicable. So therefore, you need a you didn't need a divorce from your previous uh, husband, and and therefore when but but from Yosef's viewpoint, they had violated everything, and this is exactly the the source of the problem as to why the enmity began to develop on such a level was because they had this machloikas about history and about a machloikas about the status of Klal Israel, you know what. How much, you know, of, of that Navua had, had really come to pass? So, yeah, this is why you understand Yosef's problem. It's interesting, Yaakov, um, Yosef has the, his, his two dreams. In his second dream, you know, um, where, where he talks about so the first dream, he talks about um, binding sheaves in the field um, and, the, you know, the, the sheaves of corn, they bow down to it. So why would he? Why do you, you know? What kind of a what kind of a dream is this? But he he brings the dream and he tells his brother about the dream, that he's trying to tell them. Listen, I'm I'm right that that yeah that the whole entire household of Israel is is in pre uh, pre galut mode, and he interprets that the imagery of the brother's sheaves bowing down to his sheaf as a sign min that the brothers are wrong and that they have to accept and bow down and submit to his attitudes. And he hoped that they would finally acknowledge that his appraisal of Yaakov's uh, place in Jewish history, you know, was uh, was correct. But unfortunately, he wasn't, he, wa he did not succeed in, in, in influencing his brothers at all. But this is a, this is a, a chidush is to try and explain where, you know, why the hatred, why the dibara'a, what was, what is behind this, uh, you know, the, the Loshan horror that Yaakov, that Yosef was uh, was feeding Yaakov Avinu with? And you start to see a Takawa's Loshan horror. It was true in the way Yosef saw it, but it just was false in the way the brothers saw it. And it's interesting how the Londres plays a part in trying to uncover the kishkas of what these dinim are and how the difference, the Hashkafic difference of how one saw the period of Jewish history that they both experienced at the same time the, the fact that they saw it differently had halachic implications, and uh, this generated um, this enmity between uh, 
between yourself and the brothers. Okay, I'll leave it there and wish you a, a great Shabbos. And uh, we'll, uh, we're going to take a break now. So I think next week is Hanukkah. And we'll all be lighting candles this time. And um, so, and then we're going to go away. So we'll start, I'll send WhatsApps, obviously, but we'll probably start at the end of the school holidays. Restart. In the meantime, have a safe uh, holiday and recharge our good batteries. And we'll, we'll get back on the saddle in the saddle when we can. Okay. Sure.